What's up, everyone? It's me, Gabe. It's me, Nick. Nick, you doing all right, man? I'm hanging in there, Gabe. What about you? I'm, I'm just doing the same, partner. Well, today we had a very special guest by the name of Brendan Winters. He's the co-founder of Pro Skills Basketball, a, uh, a basketball company that teaches both life and basketball skills to the next generation, essentially. We had a lot of great conversation. He is the son of NBA All-Star Brian Winters, and he played at both. He played at Davidson. He played overseas for four different countries until he finally came back to the U.S. and he started this company. Nick, what did you think of the interview? I thought it was great. I thought one one thing that stuck out to me is he's not just teaching basketball to the kids; he's teaching them life skills and stuff like that. So it it's pretty great because when I think about like uh, teaching bat like teaching basketball and AAU and stuff like that, I think oh, it's just strictly basketball and, and you're teaching these kids to be ballers but there's a lot more that goes into it which which is awesome definitely talked about that he also brought up his acronym focus f-o-c-u-s and how he implements that into his uh his kind of his tenant of coaching the children and the youth but yeah i think understanding that burnout is a real thing even for aau kids and kind of making that transition into just reminding the kids that this is supposed to be fun so it's just a game but it could turn into a career. He talks about that a lot as well. Anyway, we also put him on the spot with hot seat questions, and he gets on his own soapbox about whether or not college players should be paid outside of scholarship money. So you definitely should listen for that one. He's got some good points. He does have some good points. We'll have to get the NCAA online, send him our podcast so they can listen. Yeah. Get some tips, you know. Anyway, Nick, would you do me a solid and play the saxophone? Boop. Ever heard of a cardboard box seat? It's, it's kind of like an armchair quarterback. It's a word we made up, and we think it fits our views of basketball pretty well. Our made-up phrase means that we think and act like a manager of a team, or even the commissioner some days. But we don't exactly have the bank account to follow up on our team-owning aspirations. We've got ideas and opinions about the league that change when we come up with new ones. And we may have some funny jokes. The important thing is we love basketball. But we also realize there are plenty of important people who make what you see on the court run smoother. There are a lot of people who work behind the scenes to make the league the best it can be. And we like to showcase them because they don't always get the credit they deserve. If you're looking for great interviews and bad jokes, you've come to the right place. So come watch with us from our cardboard box seats. Welcome back to Cardboard Box Seats. Gabe's here. Nick's here. And today we have a very special guest by the name of Brendan Winter. Go ahead and give our listeners a scenic route of your career thus far. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I mean, I, I guess I can start way back, but my uh, my dad was an NBA player and a coach, so I was born at the tail end of his career playing for the Milwaukee Bucks. So I was born in Milwaukee, and then he got into coaching pretty quickly. Um and at the beginning of his career, he had a you know a decent amount of stability. He was assisting with Lenny Wilkins, so uh, Lenny wasn't getting fired very much. But uh, <laughs> so we, um, yeah, a, a good amount of stability in my younger years. And then um, after he left Lenny Wilkins, um, he kind of bounced around a little bit. He became the first head coach of the Vancouver Grizzlies, and then it was kind of anywhere from one to three or four year stints here and there. So, so I say all that to say, I, 
I bounced around all over the U.S. I guess I should say North America because I did live in Vancouver for two years while he was coaching the Grizzlies. Um, but I claimed Denver, Colorado as my home. I went to four years of high school there. Won a state championship my senior year. Um, we, you know, ha- had a pretty good team, myself and uh, my best friend to this day. He, he was a Division One player, um, but although I... I don't think I was a Division One player in high school. I was more of like a D three, D two guy. Probably D three if you really, you know, want to want to be truthful about it. Just, I had the academics and things, and that's who I was getting recruited by. So, and Denver's not a uh, not a hotbed for boys basketball. Um, I mean, you can probably count on one hand the number of you know legendary players coming out of there, like Chauncey Billups and some other ones. But um, so I needed a year of prep school. I, I was young. Um, I was skinny. I was really skinny. I was skilled, but I was really skinny. Um, I was about 175 pounds, six foot four. Uh, but after I graduated uh, and I was headed to prep school, that's yeah, I turned 18 and bang, I put on 20 pounds. So got to prep school and kind of things clicked for me. Um, that and there, I got a lot more exposure at prep school. We had coaches in our open gyms every day. I played at Worcester Academy. Uh, from Mo Casera and the assistant was Jamie Sullivan, uh, but Craig Smith and Jarrett Jack were a couple of my teammates, both NBA players. So we had a bunch of coaches come in. I was, I was honestly the eighth guy on the team. I was the third guy off the bench. It, it, it wasn't a whole lot of fun, and, but I, I got after it in practice every day and competed with those guys. Got a lot better. Um, I committed to play at Davidson because they were the first ones who started recruiting me. They actually started recruiting me when I was in Denver and. Uh, it was really just because of my dad. My dad's a New York guy. Bob McKillop's a New York guy, so they knew each other. So my dad had called him up and sent him my stuff, and they liked what they saw, but it was too late. So they're, actually, he's the one that suggested I go to prep school. So I went. I ended up committing to, to Davidson, played for Coach McKillop for four years, had a great experience. We had good teams. Um, he put a lot of faith in me. I, I became the best player on the team pretty quickly, had a good career there. Uh, went overseas after that for five years. I, I had a brief stint. Um, I had a brief kind of chance to get drafted, a brief stint in the summer leagues, but then just went overseas. Uh, did that for five years. Got a little bit worn out. My body, my uh, I, I think psychologically as well, or just mentally, um, and called it a day. And I had started Pro Skills uh, while I was over there as a summer camp. And me and myself, my co-founder, decided uh, we had had enough and. Had a little bit of money saved up, so decided to give it a shot full time, and I've been doing that the last ten years. Growing up with your dad being a player and a coach, did you ever feel pressured to play basketball? I know, I know, you said you did play, but did you ever feel like pressured to play that, or did you feel like you could play any other sport too? I did feel pressure. It wasn't because my dad put it on me. Actually, he was kind of the anti-pressure guy. I mean, he always let me know, like, if I don't want to play basketball, I don't have to play. He, he kind of knew. Um, that I had some big shoes to kind of fill in. And, um, you know, he was a two-time NBA All-Star, so a lot of people knew him. He's kind of a New York legend. So knew I, I, I'd have some pressure on me, and, and he never wanted me to feel that. So so he never forced it. But, but you know, nevertheless, I, I did feel some pressure. But, uh, but growing up, I did play other sports. I mean, I did soccer, uh, baseball. Um, one, one of the best things I actually did is at, at prep school, they um, – they made they, they made you do either like two sports or like a sport and two clubs or something like that. Like you had to take some sort of combination of kind of extracurricular. So I ended up doing track and running the four hundred. 
and that really really made me a lot stronger a lot more athletic um and and, and just i i think really helped me on the basketball court and that was when i was at you know post-grad so i was 18 years old and you know committed to go play division one college basketball and i'm running around the track in basketball shorts you know kind of looking like an idiot but um i did it and, and and it was really it was really good for me yeah, I mean, I, and, and this this is like this is like the um, man when was it? I guess early two thousands, and so like I had the basketball shorts, you know, that were like right past my knees, big and baggy, like and it's just like I looked like I, I looked like such an idiot. I think looking <laughs> back on it, I've seen some pictures, but but yeah, it was great. So you said you kind of moved around a lot, being being a coach's son. What was that like, kind of bouncing around, and then even being around different teams and, and different players? Was that was that pretty cool, being able to see i mean all-star players when you're going with your dad to work i mean that was great man i i still have a lot of memories of that um i mean i think i i, I can't even remember how many um cities we lived in i think it was eight um i was born in milwaukee don't remember that we lived there for two years he retired and then we moved to princeton new jersey and he co- uh, he was assistant with pete carrell for two years and that's kind of where my memories first like i have memories of uh building forts out of like Pete Carrill's couch cushions um my brothers and sisters and I my dad would just bring us over and we'd like wreak havoc at his house and he hated it I guess I I didn't know it at the time but um so we were there two years and we went to my dad got hired in Cleveland with uh, Lenny Wilkins and you know for for anyone watching the the Michael Jordan documentary it was during the times when Michael was hitting all those shots like the Craig Elo shot um that was while my dad was there so that's really when uh, I think most of my uh, my memories started. I, I think um, you know I, I remember going to the Cleveland practice facility, and I mean it was at their arena as I've called seeing, but they had a, a gym up top, and um, I, I used to go watch practice. And I remember Larry Nance and Mark Price and and all those guys. Um, it was really cool to be around that. Then we went to Atlanta. Dominique Wilkins was there. Mookie Blaylock. Um, a bunch of guys like that then he became the first head coach of the vancouver grizzlies so moved to vancouver and they were horrendous but it was fun um because it was a new a new team and nice facilities and all that sort of stuff brian big country reeves and sharif abdurrahim and um greg anthony and, and, and a bunch of those guys byron scott so uh then got fired after a year and a half we went to denver colorado he was in denver for a year um another bad team um, they got fired, then he went to uh, Golden State. And that, you know, that that was, I, I have really, really fond memories of uh, when he was in Golden State uh, because that's they were bad there too. But, like, uh, that that's when uh, they, my dad drafted Gilbert Arenas. Or they were on that team, and my, my dad became the interim head coach and uh, eventually was starting Gilbert. And I believe Gilbert, like, kind of credits my dad as kind of really giving him the shot. But Gilbert was, I was, you know, 17 years old. Gilbert was, like, 19, I think. So um, he was just really cool to be around, um, super nice and just down to earth. So, um, oh, and, and then he was a WNBA coach. He was coach of the Fever while I was at Davidson for, for a little while. I went up after my, uh, my Davidson um, year, I think it was after my sophomore year, I went up there and I scrimmaged them. Um, I was kind of like on that scout team um, where, where, where they bring in a bunch of guys and, and, and we played. So I was playing against Tamika Catchings and some of them. And those those ladies can really, really go. Um, 
so yeah it was i mean it was great i mean it, so many different experiences uh, so many uh, players and, and i got to be around a around a ton of good coaches i mean at the time i didn't care about the coaches uh, i really just cared about the players but looking back on it now i mean the, the coaches was awesome too now if your dad wasn't an nba all-star I, i'd think you were trying to trying to break the name dropping record because that was that was that was quite something it's fun right i, I love talking about all those guys man it's a, it's all it's all the guys from the 90s and in and, and the, and the early 2000s <laughs> it's fun <laughs> all right so we're going to transition from your dad's career to your career so tell us a little bit about your time at davidson where you kind of skipped over that really really quickly with your uh, your scenic route um but you you had a lot of awards and achievements there tell us a little bit about that yeah um davidson was a really good fit for me uh coach mckillop's a really really i mean he He's like he's an offensive genius, um, but he's a, he's really a tough coach. But but that works for me. Like that style of like you know kind of screaming and yelling and like holding you accountable. Like I, I think that really it, it worked for me. I mean it wasn't always easy, but man he pushed me to like the absolute best I could be at Davidson. Like I, I don't think I could have been really much better at Davidson because I mean Coach McKillop just. I mean, he squeezes every, every ounce of potential out of his players. Um, and, and, you know, frankly, so some players can't handle it, and, and, you know, sometimes they might leave or, or whatever. But, like, I mean, he takes guys who a lot of – at least when I was there, it's a lot of guys like me. I mean, I wasn't the most talented guy in the world, but, like, um, I was pretty skilled, um, and, and he really just gets us to – um, perform at our best or gets the most out of our potential and then sets us up and then puts us in a position to succeed too um, you know but by the way we moved and, and you know had screens set for me and things like that but the, the biggest thing he did is like up until that I had never had a coach uh, really fully believe in me and, and, and believe that I could be great uh, until Coach McKillop, and, and I'll never really forget it. I had a good freshman year. I, I was all freshman team, um, but I, I like my first game. We played at Duke at Cameron, and I think I played four minutes. I mean, I barely played. And then I think the next game was at Navy. You know, and, and it's not like Navy's that great, but like I played maybe twelve minutes. I mean, I felt like I should have been playing more, uh, but I really didn't play all that much um, initially. My first few games, and then. Uh, I think the starting shooting guard got hurt, uh, and so then I I was inserted into the lineup, and then the starting uh, small forward got hurt. So then I took on an even bigger role, um, and had had to score the ball and things like that. So my freshman year, I got a little bit lucky uh, in, in how I got playing time, but I developed quite a bit. And then sophomore year was just kind of off to the races. Um, I, I mean, I was a really hard worker. That was, that was one thing. That was probably my best attribute is I, I worked my, my butt off um, and coach knew that and so sophomore year I remember he announced it pretty like a few games into the season like hey this is Brendan's team and you know as a sophomore that, that was that was a big thing for me I mean that was like the vote of confidence so um, yeah he, he was just he was tough uh, but he was he, he was fair and, and, he, and he pushed us and uh, at the end of the day I mean the biggest thing is he believed in me and, and uh, gave me the confidence to go out there and, 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 and kind of take over. So summer leagues kind of changed quite a bit over the past couple years. What was your experience playing? What was your experience like playing in the summer league? 
be honest with you, I hated it. I, I just, I did not like it at all. Like, I, it was just a bunch of guys that um, thought they were just, you know, uh, the best thing ever. You know, like a bunch of them had like two or three phones, and like they're no one. Ever, like, I, I came from Davidson, and Davidson, like we were a team. We all hung out. We all went to parties together. We, you know, and then then we got up and went to open gym the next day, you know, and, 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 and got after it. Like we worked hard, we played hard, but we did it together. Um, and, and, and those guys, even to this day are like my brothers. And, uh, from my, I, I guess I didn't know it at the time or I didn't realize kind of how special that was because once I got overseas, I, I talked to a bunch of other guys and that was not their experience. But my first taste of that was going to summer league. It's like, I think you just deal with a bunch of young guys who are, you know, pretty much the best players at, at their schools, um, a lot of high major guys, um, but also like pretty unsure of themselves and then, you know, dealing with egos. And uh, I think deep down probably like a lack of confidence and, and it, insecurities and things like that. So it's just like, you know, it just wasn't fun. Like, and then it kind of a, a funny thing is, is it's a very, very weird the guy I got along with best on my team and we hung out, we, you know, it was in Vegas. So, so, so we, you know, gambled a little bit together and just hung out and, cause we were both like low major, I guess, mid major guys, but Jose Juan Barea, <laughs> actually uh, great guy, very down to earth, you know, I, and I think we just connected over him coming from a small school and I was coming from a small school and everyone else was like, you know, I was stayed and just like these, these big schools, um, and so, so, so we really bonded and man, sure enough, that guy has had a great NBA career, which is super, super weird. But, uh, but yeah, it, it was just, um, yeah, I, I, I just didn't like it. I, I just didn't like it. And, and it wasn't, you know, it, 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 it just wasn't a good fit for me. Uh, I, I don't think so. Man, JJ Barrett couldn't get you a, get you a spot on the maps. Hey, right, right. I haven't talked to him in forever, but like, but yeah, that, it was just, it's funny the way things work out, but, but I'm glad, I'm glad out of everyone I met, man, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he was the guy I worked out for, he, he deserves it. That's awesome. So, how did the door open up for you playing overseas in France, Germany, Hungary, and Greece? Did I get all those countries right? That's where you played, right? Yep, 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 that's all of them. Um, yeah, so actually the overseas thing was, it was always kind of like a foregone conclusion because, um, I mean, once I got to Davidson, because Davidson has a long history of, uh, of sending guys overseas. Like, obviously Davidson, at least especially when I was there, I mean, Steph came and changed a lot of stuff. But, you know, even now to this day, I mean, most of their guys, like, go overseas. And, and I mean, they, they haven't had an NBA guy since Steph, so... Um, although they are getting more talented players, it's still like they're going overseas. So, and, and that was that was happening before I was there. Coach McKillop just is super connected overseas. He goes and speaks at coaches' clinics. He loves to travel. I mean, he was doing like the overseas coaches tour, and, and we were and Davidson was going overseas doing those summer trips before it became super popular over the last like you know ten years or so. And everyone does it now. Um, but like we went to Italy right before my my senior year, and then he had gone, you know, years and years before that with with the teams and stuff. So um, like one of his best friends is at Ray Messina. So it was just it was just kind of like you knew if you went to Davidson and had a solid career, you would at least get 
something over over there. And so I, I went there. I had a good career. I had a chance at the NBA. Did Portsmouth. Did Vegas. All that. I got off. I got drafted in the D League at the time, but it was like you know, it's it's crap money. Um, and, and after Vegas, I was like, no, nah, man, I'm 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 good. I'm not, I'm not going to play with those guys. I'll just go overseas. And so the the other thing that helped was the point guard on my team. Um, he came in the year I got, so I came in as a freshman. He came in as a, a he transferred in from Lafayette, um, but his name was Kenny Grant. His dad is a big time overseas agent. His name's Kenny Grant Senior. Um, so Kenny was my point guard for for three years because um, he didn't play my first year, and so again it, it was just like a, <laughs> it, it, it all just kind of added up to like I ended up signing with 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 his dad, um, and then what happened? That I mean. For me, it was crazy. Like, I basically had a deal uh, even before my senior year. I mean, I didn't sign anything, obviously, but they had basically verbally offered me something uh, because my, my, my co-founder of Pro Skills, Logan Kosmolsky, he, he transferred in from Baylor my freshman year, uh, but he was a grade older than myself. So he graduated my junior year, and he signed with Kenny, and then he went to France his first year. Um, and the film that he used to go over there, like that, to send them uh, to show to showcase his game was against Duke. And he and I had a like I think he had twenty five, I had twenty four that game. So the team saw him and also saw me and were like, "Hey, what about this guy?" Um, so basically, they they had said they wanted me um, like right right from the jump. So they resigned him the following year and then offered me a contract. And I went over there and I was like, "Yeah, sure, I want you know." I want play with Logan so went over to France um, and, and did, did my first year there with Logan what made you decide you wanted to come back to the States after playing overseas yeah um, so I mentioned like I mean when I say I worked hard like I really really put in a lot of hours and it's something I, it's not that I regret the the hours I, I just think I could have worked a lot smarter um, I, I, I was brutal on my body like my knees I had uh, tendonitis ever since I was in high school and I just like I couldn't take time off like I, I wouldn't allow myself to or the proper amount I wouldn't you know I should have done focus more on some strengthening stuff and some some different things like that or taking the necessary time off but I never did it so it all kind of just added up uh, once I got overseas um, and, and I really started having uh, just like you know it would just like I'd have to walk down downstairs like sideways um, just to kind of get the proper angle so it wouldn't hurt my both my knees. Um, and they still hurt to this day. So my body starts hurting. And, and, then, and then when you, you know, start, um, when, when your body starts hurting, and it, it just makes the game a little bit less fun. And then, you know, again, to be honest, once you start getting paid for something, it, it becomes your job. And it kind of notches up the pressure and just, takes away a little bit of the fun uh, out of it so um, it, it was just you know it, it, again it became a grind like my body hurt I was mentally tired of, of playing I put everything I had into it and once I realized I wasn't going to get to the NBA um, which that had been my dream all my life I was just kind of like it was just a job at that point um, so I, I had a great time I mean I played in, in France my first year I played Germany it's a great country I had an an amazing time there for three years and in my last year 
Um, I split between Hungary and Greece, and, and Hungary was not a whole lot of fun. Uh, Budapest is a great city, but but where I was in Hungary is not a whole lot of fun, and just the country's not uh, not really a place I, I wanted to live. Um, but then Greece was great, so I finished up in Greece. We, we had a good season. I played Bobby Brown, um, who ended up in, in <laughs> This is a funny story. I, I took the spot of P.J. Tucker, actually, um, on that team. So P.J., uh, just got tired of it over there. Like in Greece, they're notorious for not paying you on time or not paying you at all. And and we had a really tough coach there. So him and the coach butted heads. I think they were late on PJ's. Their PJ was making a lot of money. PJ's paycheck. So like PJ, I guess just one morning, just I mean, he bought his own plane ticket, packed up his stuff, and just left and just didn't tell the team anything. And so like they had practice. They were like, "Where's PJ? I don't know." Called him next day. He didn't show up. So like they sent someone over to his apartment. He was just gone. And then they found out like he had just bought a plane ticket home. So then they were like, "Okay, well let's." We need to bring in someone cheaper then. So, like, so I guess I I, I was that option. Um, so, so I came in, but but I got his apartment, and it's funny because I used to tell this story before PJ like got famous in the NBA for like his shoes and stuff. It's like I got his apartment, and like I think he wears a size 14, but I, I'm like a 13 and a half, and he just left all these like sweet shoes there, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. So I show up at the apartment. And I just had a bunch of like cool shoes, man. So I was just wearing his shoes the rest of the year. And just, like, <laughs> he just left a bunch of stuff. He just, I think he just packed up probably two bags of stuff and just bounced and left everything else there. So, uh, and then again, it's, it's just kind of funny how things work out now. He's, you know, uh, doing a really, really good job in the NBA. Pretty famous for his for his kicks and his and his and his outfits and, and things like that. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just funny how it works. So I finished up in Greece. I thought about kind of trying to get out of Europe and go like do a year in like New Zealand or Japan or somewhere that that I thought would be interesting and fun. Um, but uh, but uh, but I ended up just kind of calling it a, a day. I, I didn't want to go through the grind again, um, all that. So and then then we had pro skills. Had I think we had like three three summers worth of camps and that was going really well. So uh, it was just it was just time to move on and, and mentally I was ready. Um, I didn't want to be like a 40-year-old guy that all he had done his whole life was just play overseas and just like kind of had nothing to show for it after after he was done. Uh, so it was just time to move on. Um, coming back to the U.S., uh, you mentioned you did meet your co-founder, um, Logan, of Pro Skill Basketballs over, overseas. Uh, it clearly opened some doors for you because, um, like I said, you, you started your current business, Pro Skills Basketball. And that's where you teach the next generation all about basketball, and you kind of throw in some life skills along with it. Uh, what prompted you to start this company? Yeah, well, Logan, um, so we we became pretty fast friends at, at, at Davidson. Um, you know, we, we didn't room together my first year. I actually roomed with the associate head coach at Davidson, now Matt McKillop, um, son of Bob, so, so, so that was kind of fun. Um, just just talk crap about his dad uh, to, to, to his face like man I hate your dad blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> but uh but no Matt, Matt and I are you know very very close to this day but um you know and then and then Logan um uh kind of came into the mix and and so uh then following year I roomed with Logan and another guy on our team and then um <clears throat> my then the following year it was myself Logan and Matt McKillop um, off campus in this house. So Logan and I became roommates, became really close friends. Um, he, his dad played at 
Tennessee and then played in the ABA and overseas for a bit. So we both came from basketball families. Um, and, 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 you know, the guys that played at a high level and all that, you know, you grow up in these, like, kind of basketball coaching families, I, I, I guess. And so um, we both had that in common. We grew up going to camps, being coached by our dads, and um, just being around other you know, good basketball minds. So um, we kind of, you know, I, I give Logan credit for this. He's the one that kind of looked at it like, hey, this is like, this is something that, Youth basketball is something you can actually make a living out of, um, and, and you can make it into a business, and, and you can make a living out of it. And, and we had no, we had knew a former Davidson player, Billy Armstrong, up in New Jersey, who was doing it. Um, he has an organization called Hoop Dreams, and so we looked at that model. But initially, we were still playing overseas, so we were like, "Hey, let's do a camp. Let's just see how it goes. It'll be fun. We'll be able to give back to the kids." Um, at that point, it wasn't about making money. It was it was more like, hey, just something to do in the summertime, way to get back, like have fun. Again, we both went to camp. So we started up as a camp. And honestly, the first year, it was terrible. Like, like we, we thought we could just throw our names on it, um, uh, you know, and, and kids would come. But, like, that's not what happened. So we learned pretty quick, like, hey, like, if we want to do it, we got to spend some time on it. So the next year, while we were overseas, uh, you know, we, we contacted a bunch of people, emailed, just networked, got the word out, and had a successful week of camp. And then it went so well. We both liked it. The the kids liked it. That we were like, okay, next year, we next summer we did two weeks, one boys, one girls, and then the next summer we did two and two. Um, and the kids just loved it. The parents loved it. We really liked it. And we, we were and again, we were about ready to retire. So we we're like, hey, we just you know we have this list of few hundred kids from camp we should be able to kind of build a business around around it you know like we should be able to get these kids to come a couple times a week do some training you know come to some clinics we'll do some camps so it was all like it was a whole like training business is what it was and like it wasn't about AAU teams um but we figured out pretty quick that the summer camp kid is not the same kid that's going to come you know on Wednesday nights for some 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 group training or whatever. So um, so the first six months were really hard uh, when we were doing it. Um, but what we we just kind of kept with it, kept at it. And uh, this group of parents, we had this group of sixth grade boys, like twenty of them, that that eventually like we were training twice a week, and they really really enjoyed it. And this group of parents asked us to do AAU, and um, we were like. We're like, I mean, I guess, but we had heard about it and kind of we'd had our own experience, but had heard kind of the the bad parts about it over the last like ten years while we were not playing in it, and so we just decided, you know, all right, we're we'll do AAU, but we're going to do it our way. We're going to hire experienced, knowledgeable, positive coaches. No, no fathers, no mothers. We're going to practice twice a week. We're going to only play twice a month. We're going to um, focus on fundamentals and skills and having fun and and that sort of stuff and so that's what we did and and that's when it really started to take off is 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 once we started the aau piece to it so how did you uh get to do a collaboration with steph curry and with it all yeah so i mean man i mean that just happened this year so you know it took 10 years because i mean we started in 2009 and it wasn't until i guess we have formed the partnership in 
2019 kind of verbally agreed to it, but 2020 was kind of the first year we were going to be on the court with it. So, I mean, it took 10 years. Like, I mean, it's, it's not like we were in constant conversations with Steph. I mean, he was busy doing his thing and we were busy doing ours and uh, we were friendly with each other and we knew each other, but it's not like we're, we weren't like, I, we, I never played with him. Logan didn't play with him. He came in right after I graduated. So, of course, we knew each other and we'd see, I, I we would see him once a year when he was back in town or whatever. You know, the goal was never like, oh, let's let's partner with Steph or let's, you know, whatever. Like, we were doing, we were with Under Armour before Steph was. You know, for instance, like, people think that that's where that came from, but, like, we were with them really early. And so, man, it was just, I think one of the problems in youth basketball is that people get so obsessed on, like, a certain outcome. Like, like, like they think, oh, I need to have, like I need to have like this. I want this kid to be an NBA player. I want to be on a shoe circuit or like whatever. Like they had, they get so focused on that stuff that they miss like the important stuff. That they like we were just focused on the process. We were just like, all right, we need to get these kids better. Uh, they need to have fun. We need to teach them something else other than basketball or, or use basketball to teach them something that will help them off the court as well because. Most of them are not going to play in college. You know, very few of them are, if any, are going to go on to play pro. Like, basketball needs to be, like, a vehicle um, to teach these other things. So we were focused on that. I mean, it took 10 years, and, like, we were getting our heads beat in the first year, and then we would get a little bit better the next year, a little bit better, a little bit better, and eventually we started sending kids to college to go play. Um, and, and, and we didn't get caught up in some of this you know, the shenanigans that are out there in AAU basketball. And, and I mean, we had plenty of opportunities. Like, we had, hey, hey, I, I just want to bring this team over here. It's really good. I got the number four point guard and wherever, blah, blah, blah. But, like, you know, like, uh, we're not going to pay anything. You know, we, we were just, like, we, we never went down any of those slippery slopes. Like, we just stayed true to who we are, our process, um, and all that. And we just grinded at it. And, it, and like I said, it took 10 years, so – Anyway, basically, long story short, what happened is we started having some pretty good uh, top teams. So, like, 16 new, 17 new teams. We started having success, sending kids to college. Um, you know, we have over 100 kids playing in college or that have played in college now. Um, we were winning. Um, and, and so I got to know some of the Under Armour folks. When they had a spot open up on the Under Armour Association circuit, we started having conversations about, hey, like, maybe PSB – can, can be that spot, um, which they liked. But uh, what I didn't know at the time was, I guess, Steph had been looking to get into the AAU space. You know how these a lot of these NBA guys have their own teams nowadays. You know, you got CP3 here in North Carolina. I mean, tons of players obviously ha- have their, their own teams. And so Steph was interested in that, but he always wanted to do it the right way, and he didn't trust anyone to, to, to really do it for him. Um, but then what happened is, like, so the Under Armour guys, and they, they said to us, well, hey, like, Steph's looking to do it. You know, what about that? And we are like, oh, well, yeah, if he is, like, great. Like, of course we will. So I reached out to his, uh, <clears throat> the, the president of SC30, who also played at Davidson, a guy named Brian Barr. I said, hey, I heard Steph was interested in this. You guys were interested in this. Like, we are as well. Do you guys want to do something? And so uh, we started talking. We had a phone, couple phone calls with Steph. Um and you know, basically, just convinced him that uh, that that and showed him that we've been doing it the right way for the past ten years, and we would just continue to do it uh, the way we're doing it. And so, um, got him on board, and 
the, the girls piece was a big part for him. You know, we were able to do both boys and girls side of Team Curry. Um, so we got three girls, three boys at 15, 16, 17U. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, that, that's kind of the long and short of it. So professional basketball seems to become serious, quote unquote, at an increasingly younger and younger age. How do you remind your players that basketball is still supposed to be fun and kind of just avoiding that burnout feeling that some players might have? Yeah, I mean, it's not easy. It really is not because especially just there's a lot of youth coaches out there that they watch Mike Shevsky coach or, um, you know, Tom Izzo or something, and, and they think, oh, that's how you do it. You scream and yell at your players and you berate the refs, and, and those guys are great coaches. And, and again, like Bob, Coach McKillop, Bob McKillop was similar. Like, he screams and he yells and he's tough on you, but, like, it, it, that same thing doesn't translate all the time at the youth level. And so, like, there's a lot of coaches out there that, that, that think that's how – how, how they should coach and it's just it, it, it's not how it should be um, and, and so what we did is like we were like hey look we don't want to coach like that we're not going to scream at our players we're not going because these are like I mean we have fourth graders we have seventh graders we have eighth graders you know like just relax it's basketball you know like let, let's teach them to get better let's teach them to have fun and um, and so what we ended up doing basically was we developed an acronym FOCUS uh, that stood for our, our I guess, you know, kind of our, it's our core values, but it's, it's like really the life lessons that we wanted to teach. It's fun, overcome, compete, unity, and sacrifice. Um, but fun being our first one is like, it needs to be fun. If it's not fun for these kids, they're going to get burnt out. They're going to get tired and uh, they're going to eventually quit. Um, or, at, you know, just at some point they're going to eventually quit. It might not be that year. It might be later, but fun was always our first core value. Like, We've got to have fun. Coaches got to have fun. Kids got to have fun because if you're not, it's just it's not worth it. Life is just too short for that, and basketball is not serious enough. So tell us about your plan, and you kind of mentioned just now with that the FOCUS acronym. Tell us about your plan in teaching these players the life skills that can be overlooked when training uh, to play professionally. And you kind of mentioned it earlier, 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 uh, when you were talking about like uh, basketball as a vehicle. Kind of expound upon that. Yeah, so like I said, I mean, we understand that most of our players aren't going to go play in college. I mean, we've been fortunate enough to send a bunch to college and help them go. Um, and then some of them actually are now going on to play pro overseas. And, uh, you know, actually, I think we'll probably have our first NBA player in the next couple of years, a guy named Caleb Mills, who plays at Houston. He was a freshman this year, all-freshman team, really good player from Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, which would be cool, but not everyone's like Caleb. Not everyone's like these other guys. Like most of these kids are going to phase out of basketball, and hopefully, you know, the cool thing about basketball is like you can you can play basketball for you know a long, long time after you're done playing. Uh, you know, whether that's whether you phase out in middle school, high school, whatever, college. Like you can go to the YMCA, you can go play pickup games, you go to the local church and play pickup games, you go to the park play pickup games. Like basketball. Uh, is going to be there after you get done playing like AAU, which is what we offer. So we kind of, we recognize, I mean, you know, we were just fortunate. Like we played overseas and we played professional. So, um, you know, our ego wasn't in like, oh, how good can our players be or how good can our teams be like, like a lot of youth organizations, youth coaches out there. So, um, 
again, we just recognized earlier, all right, we got to teach these kids. We got to get them better at basketball. We got to teach them to play the right way, but then we got to teach them other things. So again, we developed that acronym and we just talk about it with the kids, like, like with fun. It's not to say that's always going to be fun. Like sometimes you're going to get your, your, your head beat in by 40, but like, and that's not fun. We don't expect that to be fun, but what you're going to need to do is overcome that. Uh, and next time you go out, you're going to need to compete, right? And, and just continue to get better. So um, we just take these life lessons. We try to talk about them in, in, in all scenarios, uh, whether it's in practice, whether it's in games. And, um, you know, we talk about, especially nowadays, like the need for unity uh, is, you know, probably more than ever uh, out there. So just, you know, are you coachable? Are you a good teammate? Um one thing that stuck with me um, that I heard pretty early on when we started Pro Skills is, is a coachable player it becomes a uh, employable adult. Um, so can you take instruction from a coach, male or female? Um, are you a good teammate? And like those things translate to like, are you are, are are you a good employee? Are you good to the other staff members on your team? Um, so we just recognized early on that, that, that we needed to use basketball as, as, as a vehicle to teach these things um, versus using basketball to, like, you know, just try to make college players or NBA players or win championships and things like that. There, there's just much more to life than that. So like you just said, you might have a future uh, NBA player going through one of, your, one of your camps. Does that ever feel surreal, like you're, you're teaching potential future ballers of America? You know, sometimes, but not, I don't know, not really, because that's not what we're focused on, right? So, like, at the time, like, when we had Caleb, he was under the radar. Like, I think he had, like, maybe five or six Division One offers when we got him, like, mid-major ones. We really believed in him. Our head coach did a really good job, and we kind of, it was kind of like my experience at Davidson. Like, the coach said to him, like, hey, you were the man on this team. Like, we're going to, you know, showcase your abilities, and, and we're, we're going to go win games. And so... We did that, um, and he blew up, and he got Clemson, and he got Florida State, and he got Houston, and you know ultimately he ended up picking Houston. But he's a worker too; like he just puts his head down and he just works. And so uh, he got to Houston, and, and he's been working his butt off, and, uh, and and it's really starting to pay off. So so that's cool to see now, now that we're watching it. But like at the time, it's like you don't think you don't think this guy's going to go to the NBA. You don't. We don't think about that stuff, again, because we're not focused on the outcome. If, if someone goes to the NBA, awesome. If someone goes overseas, goes to college, great. That's that's amazing, I and mean, we're happy to help. But that's not like that's not our focus. We're focused on the process of just getting better, having fun, you know, hopeful, hoping these kids have a good experience with us so that when they're 30 years old, they can look back and be like, man, I, I love playing AAU basketball. What would you say to a player who's maybe in high school listening and thinks they might be the next LeBron or, or to a parent who's listening who thinks their kid might be the next LeBron or Steph Curry just wants them to go straight to the league or stuff like that, you know? Like, what what would your advice be? Yeah, well, I've just been saying it, like, and then we have these conversations because it happens way more than it should. I mean, we, we, we you know, the, the I think the parents nowadays and the, and the kids, I mean, with social media, it's, there's a lot of like, I mean, you see, it's it just, it just glorifies, like, of course, it like, 
amplifies all the positive stuff, but it like it doesn't touch on like the negative stuff. It doesn't show like what the grind is all about. And basically, I mean, what we tell like that's what we tell the parents and the kids. We just tell them like, hey, focus on the process. Don't worry about the outcome. But if you focus on the process, you come to work every single day. You focus on getting better getting more fundamentally sound, getting stronger, getting more athletic every single day, like, you will end up where you should end up. But, like, if, if you're so caught up in, like, the social media aspect of it, like, going Division One or going high major Division One, and then going to the NBA, where you're ranked and all that sort of stuff, like, you have no control over that. Um, so if you focus on that stuff, like, you will not get as far as you can get eventually. So, um, yeah, it's just all about the process. All right, Brendan, so now that we are at the end of our episode, we'd like to do a segment called Hot Seat Questions, and these are questions that we did not send to you on purpose because we wanted to see your gut reaction and just essentially put you on the spot. Now, obviously, these aren't going to put you actually on the spot. They're nothing dangerous as far as question goes, but me and Nick are going to ask you questions, we're going to go back and forth, and we want you to answer as honestly and truthfully as you possibly can, all right? Number one, should college players be paid outside of scholarship money? Absolutely. <laughs> Dude, do you want me to expand on it? <laughs> or Go for it. it. Go for it. Get yourself <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, they should. It's just, I mean, I mean, I just, I, I help at the Jay Billis camp. So I, I, I'm, I, I'm lucky enough to get to hear Jay talk about this stuff all the time. I mean, even outside of the stuff he says on ESPN. But, I mean, he makes such a good case for it all the time. But I just... I don't really understand why this is something he uses all the time. Like, you know, like if someone's a really good guitar player in college, they have, they can go play and say they're on like, you know, some sort of music scholarship at school. Like they can go make money doing whatever they want or a good actor or actress. Like no one is limited except for, for athletes. Um, You know, so, and, and, and what people don't understand a lot who haven't played is college athletics especially d1 athletics and especially like big time d1 athletics like the high major like that it is a full-time job so yes they are going to school for free um but it is a full-time job and some of these guys you know like i was lucky like you know if i needed money i just go ask my parents but a lot of these guys can't do that um, and, and, and so they need extra money to live on. And, and so it makes no sense to limit uh, the amount of money that, that they can make being being an athlete, um, you know, just because it's like, you know, NCAA rules or whatever. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. What was your favorite team to play for? Uh, I loved Germany. Uh, my second year played for um, – uh, a, a team called Bayer Leverkusen, who's a really good soccer team. Um, we were in the Bundesliga. We finished second. That was the closest to Davidson I ever got, just in terms of how close the team was, and it, it was amazing. But uh, I'm sorry, my Davidson teams are first. My senior year, we went to the NCAA tournament. That was my my junior and senior year were great. After that, though, if you're talking about pro, uh, the best country, uh, best team was was definitely Bayer Leverkusen in Germany. So what is one phrase or inspirational quote that you give your players on a consistent basis? Ooh, yeah, now, now you're really putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> I, 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 this is kind of like, it's like a half joke, but it's not. Uh, but it's basically 
<laughs> it's wolves don't listen to the opinions of sheep. Um, and, okay. and that, 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 that's something that I used to tell our, uh, when, when I was coaching our 17 elite team, uh, like our best players, like a lot of them would get caught up in social media or what other people were saying, you know, and, and, and you know, I was basically trying to teach them the whole time to be leaders and, and, and not followers. So it was just kind of a funny way to get their attention. All right. As a shooting guard yourself, who do you consider to be the greatest shooter of all time? Steph Curry. Steph Curry. Uh, man, that's kind of a cop out since he worked with him. But okay, <laughs> okay, we'll go with him. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's 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 true. So, what is number? Uh, what is the number one quality that you try to instill in your players? Um, that's just. I mean, I, that was the biggest thing at Davidson. I, I think, or, or that's what I got from Coach McKillop. I mean, it's it's his. Number one is probably toughness. I mean, we, we, we played Dukes and North Carolinas every year, and so, and we were never, ever going to be as talented as they, so we had to be tougher than them to have any chance. And um, and then we see it in our kids today, too. It's just, you know, like they need to be tough and they need to compete. All right, so Adam Silver hands you the keys to his office, names you commissioner for the day. What do you do? Man, that is uh, – I probably – I mean, I know there's financial implications here, um, and, and, and I don't know exactly what those are, but I would probably shorten the season somehow um, so that the guys don't get worn out. There's no more of that, like, uh, sitting out for, for rest and things like that. So figure out some happy medium uh, between shortening the season or, or number of games um, and, and, and but also, you know, making it financially feasible so what is the highlight of your pro career the number one highlight pro career i would probably say um in yeah when i when i was playing for Bayern leverkusen i had a really good year i, I wasn't some I, I had an okay first year in france so i kind of came in um as as someone they didn't expect to have a good career but i ended up first team all league in the, in the top division in germany and was an all-star was in a three-point contest um so that 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 was just and when we again we finished second uh in, in the league and um so, so that was that was definitely the uh the highlight of, of being pro what does your future look like um for the pro skills basketball yeah no it's exciting man i mean i mean it's you know it's, it's tough times right now obviously but one of the exciting things that's come out of this is uh we've gotten We've gone really hardcore in the virtual stuff, and, and I know a lot of people have, but I think we've taken it kind of to that next level, and we've invested a lot of time and energy and resources into it. We uh, we came out with an online training app called PSB Plus, uh, which is in the uh, the Apple App Store and the Google App Store, and it's like it's really really helping kids. It, like it, it's it's kind of crazy. We're getting emails every day from parents and kids about. Uh, how much better it is, but it's all like it's it's basically like the Peloton for for basketball, like guided workout stuff you can do at home. Uh, you know, t- what do you want? Ten minutes, fifteen minutes, thirty minutes? You want ball handling? You want strength? It's, it's if you know the Peloton app, um, where they have all sorts of different lengths and different workouts and all that. It's like that for basketball, um, and it's been crazy because. Um, you know, and we've we've also done. You know, we're, we're every week we're having a virtual summer camp. Um, uh, we're doing a, tomorrow night, Tuesday and Thursday. We have a virtual girls showcase with over a hundred college coaches coming on, and uh, we'll probably we'll have over fifty girls. And uh, Thursday we're doing a virtual showcase with Paul Biancardi, 
got over 70 boy, uh, men's coaches. So we're doing a lot of virtual stuff. But the cool thing that we discovered about virtual is because it's at-home workouts, basically, or like you're very restricted in what you can do virtually. So it's a lot of ball handling, a lot of footwork, a lot of strength, um, kind of athleticism stuff, maybe some form shooting because it's all like without a basket. It's like the kids are getting so much more fundamental, like their hand, they're coming back onto the court. Like we did this for two or three months and they're coming back onto the court and like they have, they have a really tight handle or their footwork is like really good. They can, they pump fake and jabbing. Um, they're stronger than they were before. So it's like the way that virtual restricts you, a lot of people are looking at it like, Oh, this is stupid. I don't want to do a workout without a basket, but like the restriction actually is the key because it forces you to work slower on uh, the most basic fundamental stuff and so it's really really improving uh, the kids which is cool to see so if I want to be able to dunk on Gabe should I download your app yes we we have a vertical we have some vertical workouts on there it's guaranteed that you'll be dunking in, in 10 days sweet <laughs> Nick you'll need calf implants for that you ain't, you ain't gonna get it but actually too to like to, to, to kind of cap off that question too we want our goal is to have a pro skills in every NBA city you know we're in 10 cities right now uh, we're expanding into uh, between 4 and 10 more next year 4 for sure uh, but there's a couple more so uh, we do want to be all around the country uh, in, every, again, every NBA city and then even some of those good kind of ancillary cities like Nashville we're in, for instance, right now. And uh, we'll be in Tampa, Florida next year. So that's really the goal is, uh, is, is just to spread around the country and kind of spread our brand of basketball. Awesome. Well, Pro Skills Basketball is definitely uh, making a lot of moves. And uh, co-founder Brendan Winters, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. We've uh, enjoyed your insight both on and off the court. Uh, we hope to talk to you again soon, man.